You finally decided to learn how to ice skate, so you ordered the essentials every aspiring ice skater needs. A nice pair of blades, a shiny new helmet, and a good set of knee pads. And you used your Bank of America Cash Rewards credit card, choosing to earn 3% cash back on online shopping, which you put those rewards towards an essential piece of post-skating recovery, a heating pad. Visit bankofamerica.com slash more rewarding to apply now. Copyright 2020, Bank of America Corporation. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp, and on the other line, from the Washington Post, Ben Golliver. What's up, man? Not too much, Andrew. You know, in a minute, I want to do a real quick gut check, uh, both for you and for me, just about the state of the NBA uh, during media day. But before we get to that, I do want to apologize. I know it sounds like I've been brushing my teeth with Virginia Slims, okay? That is not actually what's happening. (laughs) I think it's allergies. Uh, I hope the entire open floor globe will be able to bear with me here uh, for the next hour or so as we break down everything that's happening around the league. Before we do that, though, I just want to say real quickly, Andrew, you know it's a problem that I have, right? I deep dive too much. I don't come up for air. Sometimes I get too busy staring at that sun rather than following the light. I get a little bit too locked in. I don't always see the big picture. Let me just say... The opening weekend of basketball here in Los Angeles was unbelievable. I mean, Lakers media day, Lakers practice, Clippers media day, back to back to back. My mind was exploding. You know, I moved down here from Portland in 2015, just in time for the big Clippers collapse, just in time for like the ugliest years (laughs) of Kobe's career. And I'm really feeling like one of these people who like flipped the house, right? Or got in really early before, uh, you know, the the blue chip stock took off. Because if you really think about it, and this isn't bragging, Andrew. You know, I like to rag East versus West all this. This is facts only. A five-mile radius from my apartment, there is more basketball talent than you've got from Maine down to Miami. You could put it all together. <laughs> We're winning that head-to-head battle. And it's just an incredible you know, time to be alive, great place to be. Uh, the yeah. basketball here is just fantastic. But th- here's what I want to say about the gut check, okay? Because I know you were hanging around with the Sixers a little bit this week. Um, obviously, you know, I got my first look at both the Lakers and the Clippers. I'm going to just be real honest right up front, Andrew. Over the years, you kind of get this like you know sense of is a team a contender, right? Do they have that yeah. vibe? Do they view themselves like they're going to be able to win the title this year? Do they have the talent? What do they look like? How do they carry themselves? After like four days with the Lakers, I'm not sure that's them, Andrew. My gut is telling me that these guys aren't ready to compete for a title. And this is a September take. Oh. Obviously, things can change a lot. But when I look at this Lakers team, I see LeBron doing everything he can to avoid the spotlight, to minimize expectations. I see Anthony Davis being an otherworldly talent, as we know. And I see a lot of other guys who are basically strangers, who are getting dominated in these scrimmages, who, you know, you could try to hype up Avery Bradley as much as we want to hype him up. I mean, (laughs) come on, like, let's, let's be a little bit honest here. And then I also see Frank Vogel, like, stopping practices in front of the media so he can go on these little spiels about transition defense and, and these other things. And I'm not blaming any of his players if they're already tuning him out, right? So I don't know, Andrew. That's just my first take, my gut reaction on the Lakers. They look like a good team. They look like a two-man team. They don't look to me like they have the, the potential to be a great team. They're not overwhelmingly athletic. They have a lot of older pieces. I'm not trying to rain on everybody's parade right out of the gate. That's just my first, uh, my first take. Now, question for you. Do you agree or disagree with with where I'm coming from, first of all? And then what was your first take with the Sixers? Well, okay. My prevailing reaction to your little spiel there is relief because I thought that you... I mean, first of all, it sounds like you've been at a rave all weekend, which I guess it was like a basketball rave for you, having basketball back in L.A., bouncing between Clippers practices and Lakers practices. Yeah, look. Western Conference (laughs) triumphalism. This is like your scene. Spalding is my ecstasy, but continue. (laughs) Exactly. So, number one, I was just like already bracing to be uh, disgusted by how condescending you were going to be. But number two, when you started in talking about like the look and feel of a champion... 
I thought you were going to come out and say either the Lakers or Clippers are going to win the title. Oh. And um, I was not going to, I, I was not looking forward to that conversation because, I mean, I don't want to be super down on the Lakers, but like, I don't know. I This is very much a wait and see situation for me. I think Avery Bradley, even being half decent this year, would be actually like a pretty big win for them. But by the same token, you mentioned the the guys that their starting five are beating up on in practice. Like you look at you look at the guys on their team, and I would say that roughly seventy five percent of their rotation is comprised of players who may not have been in the NBA this year. Like if I told you that someone like Quinn Cook wasn't in the NBA, you wouldn't have been shocked. Same with Dwight. Same with Jared Dudley. I mean, like, these are all semi-serviceable players if they're giving you 10 minutes a game. But, like, the Lakers are going to be relying on these guys to play meaningful minutes. Um, And, you know, Troy Daniels is probably getting dusted in practice. But, like, I'm not sure what that means because I wasn't really sure that Troy Daniels was going to be in the NBA this year until he landed on the Lakers. And so... I don't want to say that they're going to be terrible because like LeBron and AD are just that good and the pieces fit better this year than they did a year ago. And so I'm willing to give them a little bit of benefit of the doubt and, and wait and see where we are in three or four months. But yeah. um, can I tell you the I, biggest it, red flag? It's just flag? a really weird vibe. What's, it is, the, what's the red flag? It is a weird vibe. You're right on the money with everything you said. To me, the biggest red flag is LeBron and his messaging at media day. He comes out of the gate and he says, hey, my mom used to tell me, you know, don't talk about it, be about it. Okay, that's a, a reasonable cliche that you could use. But LeBron, you've been talking about it your entire career. Your whole prime has been talking about it. You told everybody in 2011 that we were worthless critics. You know, I mean, you certainly remember that. <laughs> he told everybody during the middle of a finals loss that he was still the best player in the world. He's confident in that. He's been speaking out against the NCAA and, uh, you know, trying to get players paid, you know, as part of this whole political campaign going on right now. The one thing yep. he doesn't want to talk about is anything to do with expectations for the Lakers and whether they can beat the Clippers. That seems like a red flag to me. And that seems like he is in this kind of a feel out mode where maybe he doesn't trust the guys three through 15 on the roster, just like you don't trust the guys three through 15 on the roster. And if this winds up being like LeBron and Anthony Davis versus the world, and it's just like these two guys are putting up insane stats that make no sense. And like all of their teammates are just sort of figureheads. And, you know, like, and just sort of, you know, by, I don't know, Thanksgiving or say Christmas, we've all just come to realize that it's basically a two-man mission against the world. That would not surprise me at all. Yeah, well, and I'm now looking at their roster. 75% of their rotation may be overstating it, but like a solid 40%, you know, whether it's, I guess Rondo, give him the benefit of the doubt. He would have landed somewhere in the NBA this year if it weren't well, the Lakers. I wouldn't but have wanted like, to have Rondo on my team for the last three seasons, personally. Yeah, so like, that's, I, that's what I'm saying. There I are don't a lot think of gray were, area players. I don't think you were overstating it. And if you're going to look at that roster, you know, put sunglasses on. Be careful. Like, don't expose your eyesight to that too much. Um, but the one thing I agree with is that they do, like Lakers fans will will point at everyone's three point percentage and say, "All right, so they wanted to surround LeBron with shooters. The front office went out and did that. The team makes more sense this year." I think that's true to a point. It's just that some of these guys they haven't really been on the an, an NBA floor for the past few years for a reason. And so uh, we'll right. see how it all works out for them. And, and none of these guys have played together. LeBron's already kind of, you know, getting minutes managed during the preseason as well. So from a chemistry standpoint, that kind of makes you wonder. There's going to be nights where they put up 130, you know, no problem. Yeah. Like if they're shooting well, they're going to be able to do that. Will the consistency be there? And then defensively, are they going to be able to stop anyone? There's been an awful lot of talk about defense uh, from this group. I still want to see it, you know, like mm -hmm. in these practices, you know, Anthony Davis is like skying high to block shots, like, you know, pinning them against the backboard and stuff like that. Everybody else out there, it's like, okay, I guess maybe this could potentially work, but uh, it's just not very convincing. And it's and really what it is, it comes back to the gut check thing that I'm talking about. I expect yeah. it to be walking into that gym. And there's always a certain sense of awe. I mean, they have all their trophies lined up. <laughs> no, you know what I mean? Let me tell you something, Ben. I'm so glad that you're not coming out of the, the first three days of Lakers practice 
waving your Lakers flag as a LeBron believer telling us to get ready for for what's possible with LeBron and AD this year. Because look, they might be good, but I do not have any patience for anyone who's telling me that they are definitely going to be good. Like this is just, this is a major, major gamble uh, roster-wise. Basically on every single player beyond LeBron and AD. I'm just saying they have a brand new practice facility, sparkling, gleaming. They've got all the trophies lined up. They've got all the retired numbers painted on the walls, right? There's a certain yeah. feeling that you have when you go in that building. And then you're watching some of these players that you just listed off earlier and you're like, yeah, these guys are just, you know, <laughs> they're just action figures for the LeBron and AD show. And I think that's, uh, you know, that's just my first impression. That could evolve. These guys could gel. Uh, the stars are absolutely motivated. There's no question that LeBron and Anthony Davis have chips on their shoulders. Like that's yeah, not they cannot be disputed. But um, I guess I'm just still in in kind of skeptic mode. But this is why I want to okay. flip it around to you though about Philly because I'm looking at these media day pictures from 2,500 miles away, and I'm starting to see like that big five all lined up together. And I wow, mm-hmm. that that looks like a team. That looks like a team that thinks it can win a title. I think that they definitely believe that, and this is like if you if you ask me which team would you bet on to go win sixty games in the regular season, I think Philly is at the top of my list. I think that they can be dominant throughout the next six months. They're going to be super super scary as a defensive team. I mean, you look at like Ben Simmons, Josh Richardson. Uh, Joel Embiid and Al Horford, those are four like elite level defenders. And um, it's going to be, I mean, Ben Simmons hasn't always been elite, but he has the tools to really bother people. And so I think like they're going to have a really high floor. Um, the ceiling, so much of it still comes back to Simmons and, and what he's able to give them and what role he's able to embrace in the playoffs. And then Embiid, is he going to be healthy? And then my two biggest questions with them, because I don't think Simmons is going to be able to give them much in the playoffs. And and frankly, like I think he's going to be back down on the box. Brett Brown has talked about pushing him out to the corner. Fine, maybe that'll work a little bit better. But uh, and and I'm willing to give Joel the benefit of the doubt and assume that he's going to be healthy in late May. He dropped 20 pounds and and talked about that at media day. So that's a good sign if you're the Sixers. The two biggest questions I have, though, are number one, how much can they get from Josh Richardson? He's a guy who played point guard his senior year at Tennessee, and I think as an on-ball creator, he won't be terrible. He's not going to be Jimmy Butler, but I think he can actually give them some some things at the end of games and um, and help them get into that offense because, again, I don't really trust Simmons that, in that role. Um, but then my bigger question will come back to Brett Brown and how creative is he going to be able to be to optimize some of these guys? Uh, Because I think that's one area where the Sixers struggled last year and the offense was never particularly creative. They relied on 50 dribble handoffs to J.J. Redick every game. J.J. Redick is now gone, which is, again, going to sort of put a premium on the coaching. And... um, and we're going to see. I, Brett Brown is uh, basically impossible to root against, but I think he's a legit question mark this year. I'm hearing you just two-step just a little bit because you said they feel like they're title contenders, and I know it's very hard for you to praise the Sixers. <laughs> I know like you've got years and years of pent-up emotional baggage and toxic relationships. It's a complicated situation, with, absolutely. With, with Spike and Mike that you know certainly skew this thing. But when you were coming home, probably on the train, maybe a helicopter, I don't know how you travel to Philly these days, uh, uh-huh. were you thinking like, man, we're coming back here in June? Um, I think that I don't want to, I feel like I'm half-assing it after, after last week saying this is a pro take environment. I think that we have a really good shot of coming back here in June, but there are some structural things that I'm just not sold on with Philly. Um, look, we know you it, don't want to go back there, but you're worried you're going back there. <laughs> No, no, no. I like the city of Philadelphia. I like a lot of the media members there. I enjoy it. Um, hey, come I'm just on. Not- no, you can't do this two years in a row. Last year, you pretended to love Toronto and all oh, the great Raptors fans because you know we had to eat it for you know, three years worth of trash talk. You can't do that again with the Sixers. Just admit it. You don't want to go back in June, but you're worried that we're going there. 
Okay. Uh, yes, I think that that is probably where we're headed. Um, <laughs> as as long as Embiid stays healthy, and I'm not worried that we're headed there. Uh, but I I think that that's where things are things are going. And look, if it's because for SI we had to put we had to submit um, some picks to the magazine staff, and I picked Warriors over Sixers. And literally 15 minutes before jumping on this podcast, I was going for a run. And uh, it's it's now Monday night, and I, I was thinking as I was running, you know, if that's actually the matchup we have, I'm not sure how Golden State handles all that size from Philadelphia. So you can play that out with a number of different matchups. Like, if Philly can make it to the finals, they make teams so uncomfortable that they're going to have a shot against literally anybody. But I think part of what's fascinating about this season is – you can tease out eight different scenarios with different contenders, and each one of them has like a fatal flaw that is pretty concerning before you put any faith in them to go win it. The one exception being the Clippers, but then the Clippers have to stay healthy. And so, like this is this is all to say, I'm confident in what the Sixers can do, but like less confident than I would be in any other Eastern Conference favorite over the last four or five years. There is a sense with them that things can just go wrong really quick, right? Or random yeah. things can just happen and spoil it. I mean, we've seen it multiple years in a row. Embiid is often in the middle of it, but as you mentioned, Simmons, I think the Fultz thing even, you know, leaves some uh some scars just mentally, you know, can you trust these guys? Can you really buy in and pick them to win the title? But you're right, on paper they're a mismatch, you know, they're a nightmare for everybody. I would say basically every team in the league looks at them and says that's going to be a long physical series it's going to punish a lot of our guys going to put them into uncomfortable places and uh you know no one's circling philadelphia and saying like yeah we want those guys in the playoffs that sounds like fun yeah well and the other thing that could potentially work against them is the sixers have been at the center of this like white hot media internet spotlight for three years so I, I, I imagine that the last three years probably feel like six years to everyone who's been involved. I mean, Brett Brown has aged about 10 or 15 years since he's been coaching the Sixers. And so I just wonder if they do hit adversity, you know, like Simmons and Embiid said all the right things about playing with each other at media day. But I do wonder if things start to go sideways how how they weather that storm because I don't know how much Ben and Joel love playing together and so that's sort of another factor where you're like okay so this team could be great but man I don't know I don't know how much I should trust anything there so that's how I felt as I, as I left Philly um yeah no they're you, they're big they're long they're talented they're physical but they are short on scapegoats, right? Like Jimmy is not there anymore. They can't blame Jimmy anymore. As you're mentioning, right. Brett Brown looks like he's in, uh, you know, his second term of office, and he's struggling to get out of two foreign wars, and it's just not going the way he, the State Department and, and the Defense Department <laughs> told him it was going to go, and he's just kind of, you know, hanging on for dear life. Um, you know, those are. But some- look, Brett still has a high approval rating. He went and appeared at the Rights to Ricky Sanchez live podcast over the weekend which means that he has immunity from criticism in Philadelphia for at least the next 18 months. So smart move by him. But um, he's going to have his work cut out as a basketball coach, and he's going to have to get creative to make some of this work. So we'll see how it goes. And because My question of, well, to you, though. No, just real quick, uh, going back to the scapegoats idea, I mean, that's really the deal. I mean, like, otherwise you're having to choose between Embiid or Simmons if things go south. You've paid all mm-hmm. these guys long-term money, whether it's Harris, uh, Horford, whoever else. Like, those guys are not going to be necessarily easy to just dump and move on from if things don't go right this year. So I do think you're right to suggest that there's sort of like, you know, bubbling, burbling tension below the surface maybe with these guys. Yeah, well, it it feels like a boom or bust situation this year and potentially next year. And then, yeah, I mean, like, it's not insane to think that a choice will happen uh, between uh, Joel and Simmons. But um, shifting gears to the other side of the country, back to basketball mecca, city of angels, the capital of the basketball world. Real quick, what did you see from Clippers Media Day? Uh, it was a very strange setup. Like, I hate to just sort of, uh, 
you know, go to the cocktail party and kind of complain about the decor, right? <laughs> but uh, <laughs> they had like an MC. They did two players at the same time. Kawhi was asleep through basically his entire interview. We didn't really have the same kind of access to some of the behind-the-scenes stuff that we we get at Lakers Media Day where you get to see them taking the pictures and uh, you know doing various interviews. It was a more controlled environment. Doc Rivers and, and Lawrence Frank did not address the media so it was a little bit underwhelming. I think the argument, you know, from the Clippers standpoint is that's what they wanted, right? I don't think that they're necessarily yeah. trying to like beat their chest. I mean, I think they're waging a very subtle, you know, 30-year war to take over Los Angeles with Steve Ballmer just like giving everyone backpacks and like painting every basketball court in the city with Clippers colors and, you know, basically psychological warfare against uh, the entire population to kind of convince them <laughs> not to be Lakers fans. But yeah. I think when it comes to like the trash talk element or, you know, the direct confrontation or like, hey, we're trying to win the press conference and have these big quotes. That's what I don't think they're about that because that's not what Kawhi is about, you know. And I think there is a respect from some of these other guys where it's like, look, if Kawhi is going to snooze through his press conference, say absolutely nothing and then just go home or, or go to the L.A. Rams game or whatever. We don't want to be the guys who are coming out here and putting our foot in our mouth and, you know, causing him drama, sure. right? So I think there's a, a certain sense of people getting in line behind Kawhi. Now, of course, the wild card is Paul George, right? Once he's back healthy, no one's going to be silencing him. He's going to be saying <laughs> what's on his mind. So I certainly Loose look, lips, Paul, absolutely. So I certainly look forward to that comeback. But I do think even he's being a little bit more careful than usual just because he's not healthy quite yet. And it didn't sound yeah. like uh, it, he's too far away. Like he's going to participate in, in training camp, just not the contact portion. Um, you know, it wasn't like they're running this thing all the way out, you know, a month into the season um, in terms of his timetable. But I think that they're content to just sort of like punt things along until they're at full strength. Yeah, um, that's interesting. I mean, my reaction reading some of the Clippers stuff coming out of media day is it's going to be really entertaining for the first six weeks of the season as everybody, because I mean, the Clippers are going to be a big deal. They're basically the center of the basketball world for the first half of the season, at least. It's and weird, right? Went, because you've been forced to care about them because I haven't stopped talking about them for the last three years, <laughs> yes. even though nobody cares, right? It's sort of like if the shoe was on the other foot and all of a sudden the Wizards were like the center of the NBA universe, you know? Oh, boy. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and so the the question that I have is, how effective is the media going to be at trying to convince us that Kawhi Leonard has a personality? Because I think you can only write so many stories about Kawhi before like he just doesn't say anything and everybody gives up. And right now he's talking about making his own legacy in LA and, and that's supposed to be sort of like the reason he came back to the Clippers. And uh, I, I don't know. I think that like we might look up in mid-November and just be bored by all of this. Yeah, I don't want to speak for like the entire media contingent. I'm not sure how much effort's going to be put in on that front <laughs> because uh, <laughs> I think LeBron is the shiny object always, right? I think Anthony yeah. Davis, uh, you know, he's another one where like trying to figure out where his personality is. I could see the media really digging in hard there to try to sell everyone that Anthony Davis was just under the radar for a decade, and here's this amazing, you know, charismatic personality, which in reality is just not there. I mean, that's just kind of who he is. I think with Kawhi, his act has become so well honed. You know, he's taken it on the road from San Antonio to Toronto. Like it's the same gimmick, you know, shoulders um, slumped, arms crossed, microphone dangling out of his hand as if he's going to drop it because he doesn't even care. And I think everyone's right. just sort of, you know, come to terms with that. It's like, all right, we'll transcribe whatever he happens to mutter into the microphone. But I'm not sure there's a lot of like hero building up happening here. I think it's well, and it's funny because his act is like part of the myth at this point. But at the same time, now there's a chance for him to be the face of the league and and the face of L.A. or at least co-starring with LeBron and sort of anchoring that rivalry. And yet he needs to do a little bit more than just like forward answers about a legacy in Los Angeles. And I'm just not sure if he's ever going to do that. And yeah. so I, I wonder, I was I wonder very how, hopeful. how much rope he gets. I was very hopeful after the signing that like this would, you know, his big coming home moment, he's going to feel comfortable. He's, you know, he's got his long-term contract. So it's like the truth is going to come out and he's going to get into that. Like, I don't care what people think about me mode. So I'm just going to say whatever. 
But I mean, these media members were just trying to like ask him questions about that team fishing trip, you know, like what kind of mm-hmm. fish did you get? Who got the biggest one? How fun was it? <laughs> and it, it was just going nowhere. And I think everybody just sort of gave up halfway through that line of questioning. It's just like, all right, you know, Kawhi's not into it. We're not into it, whatever. After the trip, I drove my van back with all my equipment. I could hear a little bit of whimpering and crying. When Eldon Kidd, a father of five running rafting tours through Mexico, found two Guatemalan girls stowed away in the back of his tour van one night, it changed his life forever. They pleaded with me, can you bring us to the border? I agreed. And I thought, can I do this again somehow? From the team behind American Skyjacker comes an epic new crime series, American Coyote. Being a coyote is a dangerous and illegal business. You have to be prepared for the worst. The unbelievable tale of a legendary coyote named Eldon Kidd. American Coyote. Listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. You decided it was time to upgrade your outdoor deck. So you got all the essentials to do it. You ordered a power washer, a set of patio chairs, and a shiny new grill. And you used your Bank of America Cash Rewards credit card, choosing to earn 3% cash back on online shopping and up to 5.25% as a preferred rewards member, which you put towards your most essential deck addition, a bird feeder. Apply for yours at bankofamerica.com slash more rewarding. Copyright 2020, Bank of America Corporation. Yeah, well, I enjoyed uh, the stories of Patrick Beverly at Paintball. Have you ever played Paintball before? Andrew, I'm not sure that's something that we should encourage young people to do. I think, you know, sometimes violence, it's easy to blur the line. Uh, no, I haven't, actually. <laughs> okay, yeah, me neither, actually. I've done, I've done laser tag and was pretty terrible at it, so I assume I'd be even worse at paintball. My first time playing laser tag, I shot my own target for like 10 minutes straight. Couldn't figure out why <laughs> I wasn't getting any points, and that was the end of it. <laughs> Uh, okay. Well, I guess that's the extent of our Clippers takes. Um, one more Clippers thought before we move to the Nets. Um, I did really enjoy Kawhi Leonard being booed at that Rams game. I know there are some people who are like, look, it's, it's not a big deal. He just chose a different team. He didn't go to the Lakers. It's not the end of the world. Stop acting like babies. I love that Lakers fans reserve the right to boo Clippers whenever they appear in public in Los Angeles. That Lakers people, they're true fans. They're fucking psychotic in like 10 different ways, but they, they don't half-ass it. And, uh, and I support their right to boo Kawhi Leonard as long as he's in Los Angeles. It's like that old thing where like, you know, dog bites man isn't a story, but like man bites dog is a story. It's like if Kawhi Leonard were to get cheered in public, that would be a story. (laughs) But we're at the point now where literally every time he goes anywhere, he's getting booed because he picked the Clippers. I think we just have to all just agree to realize that this will happen for the rest of his career because he didn't pick the Lakers. Well, and not only that, look, the Lakers are not guaranteed to, to succeed this season, and then LeBron is going to start aging from there. So they, this is boom or bust for the Lakers, too, and if it doesn't work out, booing Kawhi might be all these people have, so let them have it. It's, it's a grand tradition, and really, it's one of the only things Lakers fans have had over the last 10 years, whether it's booing CP3 at Dodgers games or whatever it may be. So I enjoy it. Um... But to the opposite coast real quick, Alan says, what did you guys think of Kyrie's comments at Media Day? Ben, what do you think? I wrote a column about it uh, and my newsletter about it this week. I thought it was the biggest actual story that happened during all the Media Days. And that might be kind of a low. Really? It might be kind of a low bar because most people are just sticking to the script and not really saying a lot. But Kyrie Irving really poured his heart out about his grandfather, about the grief that he experienced in the months after his grandfather's death, about how it changed his personality, about how it put him into a depression, about how he hid his feelings from his former Boston Celtics teammates, about how he never really communicated it to anyone, about how he didn't want to go back to work day after day because he was you know, dealing with the fact that he had just lost someone close to him. And look, I am 
one of Kyrie's longest standing, you know, guys who call BS on some of his theories and all of his, you know, goofy comments and his style of play and all that stuff. But I thought what Kyrie said was very, very important. I think we're Mm -hmm. in a situation, especially in pro sports across the board, but also in the NBA too, where the way that we handle deaths and grieving and bereavement and all of that is just screwed up. You know, people just will go away for one game. They'll rush back. Some people won't even take a game off. They'll just continue on with the schedule. Uh, Usually it just gets labeled personal reasons. We never really hear, you know, about much about it, you know, a few days after it's happened. And if guys do play through, you know, tragedies like Isaiah Thomas a couple of years ago, they get held up as these incredible heroes and this great mental toughness, everything else like that. It's just super toxic. Like we shouldn't, you know, I wasn't super comfortable with all the cameras in Isaiah Thomas's face a few years ago as he's, you know, trying to fight through his sister's death. It was incredible what he did. But to have that kind of become the standard of what we're going to celebrate athletes for doing is tough on everybody else. And I think Kyrie deserves a ton of credit for what he said. I like that he took responsibility for his actions. I like that he apologized to his teammates. I think he should have, you know, based on how he played down the stretch of that season. I think an apology was warranted, you know, death or not. I mean, things just got so sideways there that he needed to take ownership there. Uh, But to me, I hope this becomes something where this becomes a new conversation for the NBA as a whole, because mental health, all these kinds of things get discussed a lot, but everyone deals with death. You know what I mean? I could relate a lot to what Kyrie Irving was saying. I definitely have Mm -hmm. put you through some difficult conversations over these last couple of years and taken stuff out on you, sometimes even on mic, where (laughs) it had nothing to do with you and it had something to do, you know, with like personal situations, whatever you want to call it. And I I just think it's universal. And it would be amazing if we got to a situation where other players heard what Kyrie said and they're like, look, I'm going to take a month off. If someone close to me, you know, really close to me passes, I need some time to heal, to recuperate. I'm going to take a month off. And they didn't feel the pressure from their teammates or their organization to get back on the court. They didn't feel the pressure from the fans to not let people down or, oh, you're squandering the paycheck or all those other kinds of things that pop up here. I think it would be a healthier, happier league if that was the case. And for a guy like Adam Silver, whose heart and his mind seems to be in the right place a lot of the time when it comes to mental health stuff, I think this is a a very obvious area where the NBA can be better. That's interesting. Um, I was not expecting that reaction. And when I said, what do you think of Kyrie's comments at Media Day? I thought we were going to talk about KD playing in the finals. Um, But I agree with a lot of what you said there. I, I think... My reaction, just speaking honestly, from what Kyrie said about his grandfather's passing was that Kyrie has said a number of different things over the last 12 months to explain what was going on with the Celtics and, um, and, and why that season didn't work. And so it's hard for me to ascribe too much meaning to any one explanation. With that said, everything that you said about grief and the importance of all of us sort of evolving in the way we approach that and and the seriousness that we that we treat that with as far as just a a mental health concern um and and kind of a, a workplace issue for all these teams and again media in general your sentiments there are all dead on well, I, I look, think that's a let me hop in real quick because i agree with you he's had a lot of different stories the stories have changed I right. am the most skeptical Kyrie viewer in the world. I watched his press conference front to back. I believed every word he said. I mean, he is describing how all of a sudden his facial express, expression changed after the death, where he kind of put on a mask and kept people out, where he kept people at a distance. He was up and down. Uh, he felt himself kind of slipping into a depression, but he didn't really know how to manage it because he hadn't been there before. And mm-hmm. these are things that if you've never really processed grief on the fly during your NBA career, um, it's a lot for anybody to deal with, let alone people who have to be in public, who have to do media interviews day after day after day. Um, and I just, uh, everything that he said rang true. You know, everything he said yeah. kind of added up to the way his season, you know, took a sideways turn. And, you know, we are not out here. We should not be judging someone for how long it takes them to grieve, right? No two people are going to be on the same timetable time when it comes to something like that. Uh, yeah. 
so well, does that mean what we, I would say? Does that mean you wipe the slate clean and say, "Hey, Kyrie, everything's forgiven from last year"? No, not necessarily. If I'm his Celtics teammates, I think I thank him for the apology, but you know, I may still have my own doubts about. Okay, well, what what else was really motivating him here? If he's angling to go to Brooklyn and all this other stuff, it's obviously a complicated situation. But the fact that he was willing to kind of bare his soul like that to talk about things that people rarely talk about in detail and to take yeah. responsibility for things that athletes just usually don't expose them to because it's kind of a macho environment and people are you know, have big egos and don't want to be judged for it. I thought it was pretty brave, man. I got to be real. Yeah, well, and what I would say about Kyrie is that I think there's this notion that he is just full of BS at all times, and that's not really true. I think, and, and like, he's kind of extra human. I mean, all these players are human, but Kyrie feels things at a pretty deep level, and um, and. He's also very honest, probably too honest sometimes. And so whatever he's feeling at any given moment, he's going to, to tell you. Um, and I think that is sort of what's happening here, where now he's finally comfortable talking about this and he's going to just lay it all out there. Whereas six months ago, the explanation for the Celtics season would have been a little bit different. I think the reality with that Celtics team, just for the record, is that it just never clicked on the court the way everyone expected it to. And they were grading themselves on an impossible standard all year long because they all showed up thinking they were going to win 60 games. And then as the struggles continued, everyone got frustrated. Everyone reacted poorly. It wasn't just a Kyrie Irving issue. They didn't have the talent and it all just kind of went sideways. Um, but to your point on Kyrie, I think he should be commended for talking about it. And, uh, and I enjoyed your read on it because I hadn't thought about it in those terms, but uh, but I agree with you. And here's one other thing. I mean, Kyrie had this this big master plan point a couple of years ago where he's saying he's manipulating the media with these crazy conspiracies because if he says something, it will go everywhere, and it just kind of shows you know what a ludicrous environment these players have to deal with. And mm -hmm. I thought that was really disingenuous of him at the time. But at the, at, at the same point, I agree that the media environment is pretty ridiculous, you know, in general. And yeah. I think it gets more ridiculous every year. And to me, when a player of his stature, top 15 guy in the NBA, is being that honest and, you know, almost brutal in his own self-assessment of his performance and of his ability to handle emotional pain... And that does not drive the news cycles the same way that a flat earth theory does or the same way that a controversial statement he makes about the Golden State Warriors and their treatment of Kevin Durant does. That's on us, right, as media members. Yeah. like We're not prioritizing the right conversations necessarily. Um, and to me, that was the biggest headline from any player of the last 72 hours was what Kyrie said. And I hope that, uh, you know, more people take him for, you know, the human element of those comments as opposed to just like how, you know, viewing it through like the Celtics centric lens. Right. Yeah. Well, and again, as far as Kyrie, I just don't think he's ever being disingenuous. Whatever he's saying at any given point is genuinely how he feels the issue with him and why he confuses so many people is that how he feels changes every day, every week, and he's just been a hard guy for various teams to read, yeah. and various media members, fans, et cetera, et cetera. Well, look, but, it, it um, takes a grease pig to know a grease pig, right? I mean, you, you, you <laughs> and Kyrie have some shared tendencies. We can agree on that. Oh, we do. We do. Both high-ceiling players. Um, but anyways, let's keep it moving well, beyond media day. No, real quick, though. I mean, you want to talk about his comments on Kevin. And I think that was a story, too. I wasn't necessarily trying to dismiss it entirely. What did you make no. of those comments? Well, now I feel bad since we've commended him for his honesty, all of which I agree with. I did not like his woke guardian angel routine where he came forward and was like, we all know Kevin wasn't ready to play in that finals environment. And he was just out there to sell a product but I'm here to protect him in Brooklyn. I just, I couldn't help but roll my eyes at a lot of that. Uh, but at the same time, you know, more power to him. He and Durant have have chosen each other, have chosen to tie the, the rest of their primes to each other. And we'll see how it goes. I, I just, the idea that Kevin Durant was not ready to play in that environment or that we all knew it at the time and that anyone involved was being reckless or irresponsible 
just rings hollow to me. I think there are some people who will always believe that the Warriors have like Kevin Durant's blood on their hands or or his Achilles on on their hands. Like I just don't think that's <laughs> the way it played out. You know what I mean? I think that everybody took every p- precaution necessary. Kevin Durant met with multiple doctors and it that was not a case of some team run amok or some medically irresponsible decision. Kevin Durant wanted to play because he's a competitor and he's a basketball player. Yeah, I guess my takeaway on those comments and and some of the other things that Kyrie said about how he made his decision to come to Brooklyn, how he wanted some other guys to come there with him, it felt like a little bit of alpha angling. You know what I mean? It did. Did, Didn't (laughs) it seem like he was trying to establish like a little bit of dominance over Kevin in a weird way? And I know that sounds, I don't know, maybe a little bit creepy, but... I think Kyrie has played that little brother card for so long. I I definitely think he's sensitive to it. He knows he's going to be the one who's out there as the face of the team this year. You know, the whole offense is going to be built around him. Uh, You know, he's going to have the ball in his hands as much as he wants and everything else. It really did seem a little bit patronizing, a little bit big brothery towards Kevin Mm -hmm. in a way that I was not expecting. And that wasn't the only comment he made like that, by the way. Uh, you know, there were some others about, you know, kind of how their team up plan sort of formulated. And I just kind of wonder what's going on in Kevin's mind as he watches those comments. Like, is that what he signed up for? Because uh, I don't know. It was weird. Yeah. Guardian Angel Kyrie, man. But for now, Ben, today's show is brought to us by Noom. Some people think that all diet and weight loss plans are the same. But that's because they haven't tried Noom. Noom is a new, totally different approach to losing weight and getting healthy that uses psychology and small goals to help you change your habits, making it easy to lose weight and keep it off for good. Tell me a little bit more about Noom, Ben. Noom combines the power of technology with real human support, offering as little or as much help as you want along the way. And since Noom is an app, it's always with you and easy to use, which makes it super easy to stay on track and reach your goals. It's just as simple to get started. Just go online, answer a few quick questions, and they'll create a personalized program just for you. Noom can help you lose your old way of thinking about food and dieting. So what do you have to lose? Besides the weight, visit noom.com slash podcast. That's N-O-O-M dot com slash podcast. N-O-O-M dot com slash podcast. And start your 14-day trial today. Change your habits. Change your mind. Change for good with Noom. All right. Well, in honor of Noom and your raspy-ass voice, we're going to keep it tight through the end here. So we'll go another 10 or 15 minutes Connor says, does Bradley Beal make sense in Denver as a backcourt partner with Jamal Murray? Those two, in theory, would be pretty poor defensively, and the Nuggets would still have a huge need with a for a contender-level starting three. Um, and he, he links to a couple people who threw out Beal to Denver. And Beal to Denver has been, like, the Nuggets have been the most popular landing spot for, for Beal. I was going to say, man, see. LeVar Sharp over here trying to speak this into existence. Are you going to ask me this <laughs> no. question every three weeks for <laughs> three straight years? Come on. Who is oh, it that you're trying man. to steal from Denver that you want on the Wizards? That's the real question. I can see through your little plot here. Look, I would personally really enjoy watching Bradley Beal play with Jokic. Um, there's just no way that the Wizards do that deal if Jamal Murray isn't in the deal. And uh, and so that's why like people keep throwing out like Michael Porter Jr., Malik Beasley, who, by the way, is due for an extension next year. Like I, I just don't really get the rationale for the Wizards to do that deal. I, I mean, they may not get maximum value for Beal whenever they trade him but uh they got to do better than like the poo-poo platter from the Nuggets so for that reason I think Beal's fit in Denver is sort of a moot point and it it is a little puzzling that everyone keeps throwing the Nuggets out as like the the favorite to land him well remember you choose these questions so we don't have to keep throwing (laughs) the Nuggets out can I ask you a question though no what here's a better Beal question what rationale do you want Tommy Shepard to use when he makes a Beal trade? And it's okay if the first answer is, I don't want him to trade Beal at all this year. Let's check back mm-hmm. next year. That's fine too. But I'm saying, let's just hypothetically say the Beal trade is coming down at the deadline. 
What rationale do yeah. you want for that return package? Well, I would go for uh, picks and at least one young guy with enough upside that will allow me to talk myself into where he could be in five years. But in general, my only real hope for the Wizards is that they don't wait like six months too long to trade Beal. I think that they should be thinking about trading him now. They should be taking calls all through February. I have a feeling that they're going to wait until July. I just really hope they don't wait any longer than that because then his value will be cut in half. Yeah, I think that it's a tricky situation to be in because to me, Beal has done a nice job stepping forward as a franchise player. And when you look at the rebuilding roster that you're mentioning, there is nothing on that roster that sells tickets. There is nobody to get excited about besides Beal right now. So if you do trade Beal, you have a huge vacuum there where you almost have to get somebody like a Jamal Murray back in that deal just so you have something to sell the fan base. Otherwise, that place is going to be a morgue the day after the mm-hmm. trade. You know, People aren't even going to show up. It's not like it's a real happening spot right now, but you know what I mean? Like It would get <laughs> very, very dark after a Beal trade. Would you not agree? Yeah, well, and the the team that I keep looking at and wondering about is, is New Orleans and whether they would make a play for Beal because right now you want your cousin. Sort of, That's what you want back. They, I do. I want my cousin Brandon Ingram to come to the district. We can build the offense around him. He can grow into a superstar, and all my stock will pay off in 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 real ways for me because that would really improve my life if he came to the wizards and, and turned into an all-star honestly but, you would probably um, be part of his posse like who else is he gonna get in dc <laughs> yeah. i don't think brandon ingram is rolling that deep at this point in his nba career so yeah i would have a shot it's a real opportunity um, for you this could be a win-win yeah brandon you can come stay in my guest room we can play fifa it'll be pretty awesome um alice can be your far- social media manager <laughs> Don't you think it makes sense, though, from the Pels side of things? Because they're a team that's like a piece away from being a legit playoff threat. Right now, they have too many too, too many assets on that team. The pieces, it's not clear how they'll fit. And um, it would make sense for me it, to me if Griffin got three months into the season and said, you know what, screw it, let's go get Bradley Beal and, and give Zion a star in his prime over the next five years. I like where your mind is at. Uh, They've already been trying to kind of like fast track this thing back to respectability down there in New Orleans. So that would sort of fit with, you know, what he's trying to do. Um, I think the fit there, if you're saying who fits better with Zion, Beal or Ingram, I mean, to me, that's a no brainer, right? Like the ages are different, but the way that the actual basketball pieces fit together, it's way cleaner with Beal and his shooting and and his perimeter playmaking than it would be with uh, Ingram at this stage of his career. So uh, yeah, I, I like where your mind is at on that one. Just no more Denver emails, okay? Come on. <laughs> well, okay, fine. That, I just I mainly included that so that we could sort of dispel some of the Beal to Denver buzz that has been percolating for the last six weeks because it has not made a ton of sense to me. But yes, New Orleans, they could also sprinkle in some of those Lakers picks. I am talking myself into it on this podcast. That is a deal that needs to happen by like... December or January. Um, But speaking of New Orleans, question from Peter. He says, where are the Zion skeptics? Zion is a bad shooter, 64% on free throws. He's short for his position, 6'6", with long but not freakish wingspan at 6'10". He's overweight, he's injury prone, and yes, his athleticism and effort are both A++++, but that is still a lot of red flags especially with his growing list of lower body injuries. So Ben, what's your reaction to that? I mean, I get where he's coming from. Uh, It's definitely open real estate, like I was mentioning earlier with like the defenders of Westbrook and Harden together. I think Peter is, you know, primed to to, uh, just have a monopoly on the anti-Zion real estate out there. Mm -hmm. It's just too hard to root against Zion, man. He's He's got that personality. He's got that charisma. He's got that eye-popping athleticism that's off the charts. He's got the dog to him. He'll hit the he'll hit the ground uh, for loose balls. Um, yeah, I want to play on his team. I want him as the leader on my team. Uh, his potential is off the charts, and he's just different and unlike anything that we've seen before. To 
want to root against that in any way or to want to predict against that in any way, it just doesn't really jibe with my soul, you know? Like if Zion doesn't yeah. work out, I will be able to wrap my mind around the kinds of um, uh, red flags that he's mentioning. They're definitely there. Look, bottom line, I've tried to see him play twice in person. He got injured both times. I'm definitely nervous, okay? <laughs> but at this stage well, of my I, life, in this stage of my career, I desperately want to believe. Yeah, I, I, I include this email in large part because I have all of these concerns with Zion. And I, I also agree with you completely. The reason I haven't voiced more of this is because it just would be so much fun if he succeeded. It would be fun for the entire league. There's I've never seen a player like him. Like what he did at Duke was like nothing I've seen on a basketball court. He's just like basically a linebacker bowling through people. Great touch as a passer. Uh, his motor on defense was ridiculous. Like Zion is amazing, and peak Zion is like nothing else in basketball. Yeah, he made you a Duke yes. fan. That was incredible. I mean, I know for that's years, true. Tar-, Tar Heel fan. Now you don't even look at those guys anymore. You're not even getting excited about the Roy Williams dance video because you're just a Coach K guy now. Yeah, well, Mac Brown's dance video has uh, usurped the Roy Williams dance video at the top of the power rankings. And I was not a Duke fan. I <laughs> really, really enjoyed Duke's loss to Michigan State in the Elite Eight. Uh, shout out Cassius Winston, wherever you are. But Zion, I will say this. I'm not proud of it. It's embarrassing. It's stupid. But I have spent three months trying to shake the 12 minutes I watched of Zion at Summer League, where granted he was dealing with Mitchell Robinson, who is kind of a freak of nature in his own right, but the length really did bother him, and Zion was out of shape, so that's another mitigating factor, and no one on the planet should give a shit about Summer League, so that's another mitigating factor, but he did look a little bit more mortal than we saw at Duke, and um, and if he if he is going to look a little bit more mortal against the length he's going to see in the NBA, then some of these other questions are going to matter a lot more than we thought. I think that there's a lot of real questions, but... I also think that he dunked four times at Summer League. All of them were awesome. Yeah. He threw Kevin Knox onto the ground like a rag doll. He sold the whole building out, <laughs> he did. and he had like a million people watching on TV, right? Why are we even nitpicking this? Can we just see it first? And It's fair. That, that's really all I had to say, Duke fan. Unreal. <laughs> okay, it's very fair. And also... I think it's it's interesting that like you talk to scouts and people even media people who do who deal like strictly with the draft and all of them are just like all the way in on Zion and don't have any of these reservations and think that it's stupid and people are overthinking it if they do. So those people are probably right and in in that case it's a win for everybody because uh Zion as a superstar would be awesome um yeah so but, my thing on these kinds of questions if you get into the idea of like busts or like number one players who don't work out or whatever often in retrospect people will conclude that that person wasn't driven by basketball right like the central focus of their life wasn't a love for the game and I yeah. am when I'm nitpicking young players, especially hyped players who are 17, 18, 19 years old, that's usually the question that I go back to, right? Like if you want to, you know, try to read between the lines on some of the guys that I kill over the years on this podcast, usually it's guys who don't love the game, who aren't wrapped up in it, who don't keep basketball first. Everything that I've heard about Zion, firsthand, secondhand, watching him, is that he loves basketball, right? And so yeah. that's that's where I get into this like internal debate between you know heart and brain, where the brain says, hey, you know what? Peter's raising some pretty good points, but the heart says, come on, bro, just sit back and enjoy the show. <laughs> yeah, well, we Peter forgot to list um, signing with Jordan Brand as another red flag for Zion's future. But Beyond that, I agree with you. Here you go again. Ariana, here you are. You've got a bad (laughs) idea. You're going to use Jordan. You're going to hold Jordan against people. He got Jordan, Upper Deck, and Gatorade or something like that. I mean, all all the hitters are behind Zion. Blue chippers for Zion. Blue chippers only. And I agree with what you said about loving the game because I had that same conversation with somebody about R.J. Barrett uh, at Sixers Media Day. They were saying, you know, I've just heard from people around the league who say RJ just isn't very good. And 
the one thing that I think is going to really work in R.J. Barrett's favor and prevent him from being another Wiggins is that he just works his ass off and he's going to find a way to be an above-average starter. Whether he's a star, that's another question. That'll depend on the jumper and a couple other things and his athleticism. But I think that uh, he'll find a way to be good because he just gives a shit. And that is like half the battle with some of these lottery picks. Um, But speaking of lottery picks, we have two more questions, Ben. First from Justin, he says, as we approach this season, I'd love to hear your thoughts on who will win the Trey Young runner-up award this year among rookies. We all know Zion will dominate if he's healthy. So who do you guys think is positioned to get some shine and some hipster talking points as the runner-up. And yes, Justin adds, he's a Cavs fan. He says, this is just me fishing for Darius Garland praise as he will lead the Cavs to 27 wins in the Sunset Conference. A triumphant 27 wins. What do you think, Ben? Do you have any nominations for the Trey Young Award this year? How much do you love that Sunset and Sunrise has really stuck? That's got to be driving you (laughs) crazy, doesn't it? I, I can't wait to do this all year long with the Sunset Conference. Yeah, what can I say? That was a good one. Also, sunsets are great, okay? Sunrises are, are really pretty overrated and, and generally oh. not worth it. So I'm fine with it. As a son of the Eastern Conference, I'm fine with it being the Sunset Conference. Yeah, sunsets are great for lazy people who don't strive to be the best. Um, I would say <laughs> nomination, John Morant. I don't think that we've talked about him nearly enough. We've definitely talked about R.J. Barrett. We've picked apart yeah. what the Hawks did with the lottery. We've talked about Rui just from the the Wizards angle. I think you even brought up Cam Reddish at some point. I do feel like because Morant didn't play in Summer League, uh, because he wasn't that you know super hyped up high school prospect maybe that some of these other guys were, because he went to a small market in Memphis, and I think they're going to be really bad this year. I'm not sure we're mm-hmm. giving him enough love. And so if you're saying who's going to get some of the hipster league pass diehard, you know, love, who's going to be getting some, you know, clips from, uh, you know, random, you know, basketball video clippers, uh, you know, look at this incredible <laughs> uh, pick and roll that he ran or look at this, you know, insane dunk off two feet or whatever. I think it's going to be him. Um, I'm not sure he's going to win rookie of the year, but I think he has the chance to put up some really big numbers on a really bad team in Memphis. That is a great nomination, and and yeah, I, to your I, point... I dug really deep. I went all the way to the second pick. <laughs> to the number two pick, but to your point, I forgot that John Morant exists when I saw this question. Um, I have been preparing for the Darius Garland revolution for four months now, and I can't wait. I do have a feeling that it's going to take him a year or two before we start to see him in that star mold just because he doesn't necessarily have the strength to dominate right away. And um, I don't know, I could be wrong, but I I think Garland has the ceiling, but it's going to take a little while. John Morant, I was not super high on coming into the draft, so I can't get with you on that. It is a good pick, though. Um, The least creative pick possible. Don't you think he's set up for this answer a little bit? I mean, Oh, yeah. Yeah, Well, because he's going to get a ton of touches. The it, it, look the the lobs to Brandon Clark and Jaron Jackson Jr. are going to be there all year long, and the Grizzlies will be fun and beloved among a specific set of NBA hipsters who spend way too much talking about way too much time talking about any of this stuff. So uh, all of that's working in his favor. The other name that I would throw out though is. Tyler Harrow from the Heat. Have you seen any of him? Have you heard any of the buzz out of Miami? Uh, well, Miami specializes in buzz. You know, they're they're good at overrating <laughs> stuff down there. Wouldn't you agree with that? I mean, I feel like well, every yes. year we hear about the Heat, and every year it's you know, they're basically the, look the magic with better branding, right? Um, I would. Oh boy, that is ether. Uh, I'm a Heat believer, but I really respect the hate there. Uh, no, he was good in summer league. I mean, yeah, he's a dynamic player. He's gonna get some numbers. He's already fitting into that like Jimmy brother, uh, Butler's little brother role. You know, I, exactly. I, that, yes, that seems lined up perfectly for him uh, to thrive. He's got that swag. So, um, you really think he's gonna get into the rookie of the year combo though? Well, here's the thing. The Heat desperately need shooting, and he is one of the only guys on that roster who could fill that void. So I think he's going to get opportunities. I mean, Eric Spolstra came out and said some pretty glowing things about him. And um, 
So I don't know. I mean, look, that's all part of the hype machine down there. But I, I do think that he's going to have every opportunity to play like meaningful minutes on a team that I, I to me, the Heat could finish in the four, five, six range of the East, um, which to you probably isn't saying much, but they're going to be playing relevant basketball games for the next six or seven months. So I think Harrow is going to have a chance to, to kind of make some noise in this conversation. And then a lot of the other guys in the top 10, like I just, I, I look at someone like Cam Reddish, even someone like Jared Culver, those guys are, are multi-year projects to me, um, but Harrow can help immediately. So that's my answer to Justin, but more importantly, closing it out here, Ben, Damon says, Dear Ben Golliver, can I attend the intervention for Sharp, a.k.a. the man yelling at a cloud and saying he's keeping his iPhone 6 because it has a headphone jack? So, Ben, I, I include this for one reason and one reason only. The, the number one reason I hate wireless headphones is because charging them and having to charge your headphones wherever you go is a phenomenal pain in the ass that I refuse to put up with. And so that's why I keep the iPhone 6. And I just felt like I left that explanation out on the last podcast. I'm not just a Luddite who can't who can't keep his headphones straight. I'm, I am an adult. I could have a pair of AirPods and not lose them. But I refuse to charge my headphones. I think that's stupid. So I, this is the first time I believe in history of open floor that Damon has come out on, on Team Ben rather than Team Sharp. <laughs> he is usually Team Sharp. So I really appreciate it. I want to say that up front while also breaking the bad news to him and breaking the good news to you that you're going to laugh last year because I woke up at 3 a.m. Hawaii time to order my brand new iPhone 11, top of the line, super excited about it. I've been tracking its delivery from China to Louisville oh to Los Angeles for the last week because they do this crazy UPS, you know, logistics solution to get these phones out as quickly as possible. And wouldn't you know it, Andrew, on the way from the LA distribution center to my apartment, someone stole the iPhone, UPS lost it. Oh my God, really? Apple doesn't know what to do with it. It's this whole case file. I'm probably not going to have the latest, greatest iPhone, which only uses wireless headphones for weeks. It, it, who knows how long it'll be until I actually get it in my hand. So I thought I was going to be able to, to come on this week and talk about the amazing bezel game and you know everything else that I was breaking out. <laughs> the three cameras, right? Yeah, everything else I was going to break out at Media Day. But instead, just realized that I sat around all day last Friday waiting for it to be delivered from like 8 a.m. till 8 p.m. It never showed up. It ruined my whole weekend. And you know, that's where, that's what I've got going on right now. Well, that and my voice right. is gone. So that's what I'm saying. You're laughing last year. You have a better perspective. You don't always necessarily need to rush and be the earliest adopter. You're probably happier, even though you look like an absolute doofus with your 2012 <laughs> headphones. Hold on. I don't look like the doofus. All of you out there with the stupid AirPods, you look like Dr. Spock or Mr. Spock or whatever it is from Star Trek. I look like a normal person from the last 20 years. You idiots look like you're living in like 2040 or whatever. No, you look like uh, you're like a, again, an extra on Friends. You know what I mean? You like, have to take like an hour to charge your goddamn headphones. I refuse to put up with any of that. And all of that, all of what you went through is karma for phone shaming me. I do feel bad because I know how excited you get about these stupid Apple releases, and I'm sorry that you now have to postpone that joy for another three weeks while this situation is resolved. I do hope that you, like, talk to... If you get someone on the phone with Apple, please let them know that you have a podcast and you are at least, like, a low-level influencer <laughs> and that you have been a lifelong Apple devotee. Look, Andrew, and you they, don't know me at all you. if you don't think I've already played <laughs> all of those cards, okay? I, <laughs> I, I have no juice with Apple, okay? Cupertino is not feeling your boy right now. I'm stuck with this... 2018 model who knows what happens first john wall comes back or my phone shows up one of the two i guess we'll see when whenever it is but until that day andrew the open floor globe can email us openfloormail at gmail.com openfloormail 
at gmail.com. It is so nice to be back to two episodes per week, but we need your questions to keep this show going. Let us know what stood out to you from training camp, media day, all that good stuff. We'd love to hear from you. Andrew, we're also on Apple Podcasts. They can find our page by searching for Open Floor. That's two words. Once they get there, scroll down. It will say rate and review tap five stars, leave us some good words. It's just that easy. I'm on Instagram at ben.goliver. It's still pretty good content. None of that wide angle photos yet, Andrew, (laughs) but that will be coming. I know you've been posting for media day, just blowing up the internet with your great Instagram posts. I really appreciate that. Um, Good work from you until it's my resolution for 2020. There's going to be more posting from me. I will never be as shameless as you, but we'll have fun this year. And Hey, basketball is back and look at you playing hurt on the first day of the season setting a standard for the rest of us well look please go drink some tea i don't really know what's wrong with you but uh hopefully you'll be feeling better by the end of the week i talked myself into a corner by starting off last week by saying we needed to submit because (laughs) i'm submitting here okay i'm getting (laughs) i'm getting battered and bruised by the basketball gods but i'm fighting through it like you mentioned until later this week andrew i will talk to you all right man take it easy Whoa.